Thank you for downloading this episode of the Mac Report Podcast. This episode is brought to you by our subscribers over at themacreport.com. Their support allows us to bring you our coverage of Merrimack Athletics. If you are a subscriber, I thank you. And if you're interested in becoming a subscriber and gaining access to all of our coverage, head on over to themacreport.com today and sign up. If you don't want to subscribe but still want to support us, please rate and review our podcast over on Apple Podcasts. Once again, thank you to our subscribers for making our coverage possible. And now, on to this week's episode. Well, I hope you're ready for a wild day at the Volpe Athletic Complex on Saturday because it's going to be nuts. Merrimack men's basketball playoff game, 6 o'clock against Sacred Heart, semifinals of the NEC. Men's hockey, 7 o'clock against Vermont. Depending upon what happens Friday night, Merrimack might have a chance to finish in first place in Hockey East and win their first Britannia Cup. There's going to be, and even if they don't, by the way, they're going to finish in the top three. That's a guarantee. So they'll have their best Hockey East finish ever. It is going to be a crazy, crazy night on Saturday. Has the potential to be a crazy week at Merrimack. If, if the men's basketball team wins on Saturday, uh, they'll play in the NEC championship game on Tuesday. That'll be at Lawler. It'll be on ESPN2. they got to get by Sacred Heart first. Uh, we'll talk to Joe Gallo in a couple of minutes. He's our guest today. Uh, and then the men's hockey team, once they get done with Vermont, they know they're going to have a week off. They know they're going to be off until the 11th, uh, and that's when they'll play against someone in the hockey's quarterfinals, and they'll be just one win away from heading back to the TD Garden uh, in the hockey semifinals for the first time since 2011, and only potentially only the third time in the history of the program. They'll be one win away from doing that. So it is going to be a wild wild next seven or eight days uh, in Merrimack Athletics with a lot going on. I hope you're ready for it. It's the best time of year. This is the best time of year. Uh, well, it's the best time of year when you have teams that are playing well. And and Merrimack has teams right now that are playing well. So it's not necessarily the best time of year if you have teams that aren't playing well and their seasons are over. But when you have teams that are in the semifinals of their, their league tournament on the basketball side and about to finish with, with its best finish on the men's hockey side in their league standings in the history of the program, in that league, which goes back to 1989, so 20, 23 years, uh, it is, it's a fun time of year. <laughs> it's a fun time of year. So uh, anyway, I, we're going to get to Joe Gallo in just a couple of minutes. I don't want to hesitate too long. There's not a ton to talk about. There is a little bit to talk about, though, from the men's hockey side and the pairwise that I want to just update people on because obviously that has been something we've been talking about for several weeks now. Uh, but Merrimack, right now, if you, according to the pairwise probability matrix, has about a 24% chance of making the NCAA tournament. That is if the season uh, were to end right now. Oh, not excuse me, not as if the season were to end right now. If the season were to end right now, they'd be out. But what that does is that takes into account uh, the the crap, the, basically the team's crash rating, and it simulates the season using that rating 20,000 times. <coughs> excuse me, I'm choking on my water. Uh, it simulates the season 20,000 times. And then it will spit out a probability of how many team, how many times that team qualified for the national tournament. Uh, they, Merrimack, 
qualified in 24% of those 20,000 simulations. They were an automatic qualifier, meaning they won Hockey East, in 15%. Of those of those simulations, which means the matrix says that Merrimack has about a fifteen percent chance of, of being hockey's champion, and they qualified as an at-large bid, meaning they qualified uh, from raising their status in the pairwise in about nine percent of those simulations. So Merrimack, according to the matrix, at one point I don't really know how this it, it's got to happen. Honestly, it's got to happen by winning hockey East, but Merrimack can get as high as number seven in the pairwise. There's a there's a minuscule chance that that happens. I want to be clear. It's less than 0.1%. But there is a scenario that exists where over the next 14 days, Merrimack can, or the next 21 days, I guess. Uh, no, 14 days. Sorry, 14 days. There is a scenario that exists, exists that over the next 14 days, Merrimack can get as high as number seven in the pairwise. It's less than 0.1%. So it's not very likely, uh, but what I think that means is is, is it probably it, it probably requires Merrimack winning out and winning Hockey East and then other things to fall their way. The most likely scenario for the Warriors is that they stay exactly where they are at number seventeen in the pairwise. That is an eighteen percent chance of happening. Um, Merrimack has a sixteen percent chance of finishing thirteenth or fourteenth. They have a. Uh, yeah, 16% chance of finishing somewhere between 13th and 14th. Excuse me, 14th and 15th. 14th and 15th. So there is a way. I mean, 9% overall that Merrimack qualified as an at-large team in, in the matrix. So there's still there's probability there. It, it's possible that they can qualify as an at-large. Uh, playoff status has a it does kind of the same thing. They weight their simulation a little bit differently, uh, but... They also come up with probabilities, and uh, Merrimack right now, they've got Merrimack with the same 24% chance of making the tournament. The key one that that playoff status runs uh, that I like to look at is winning out minus the conference final, meaning what's the percentage a team qualifies for the NCAA tournament if they win every game, make it to the conference championship game, and lose? Because you would not get the automatic qualifier if you don't win the conference championship. But what if you win every game from now until then? What are the chances then? Merrimack has a 46% chance of qualifying qualifying for the tournament, which which would only be as an at-large, by the way. So their, their chances as an at-large team improve from 9% to 46% if they win every game up until the conference final and then lose the conference final. And the thing is, that's only three games. You have Vermont, you have the conference quarterfinal, and then you'd have the conference semifinal. So it's basically, if Merrimack goes 3-0 and over the next three games, they have a 46, 46% chance of qualifying for the tournament at that point, if the, and, and assuming they were to lose the Hockey's championship game. I like looking at that number because it basically gives us a chance. What, what does this team have to do? How close are they realistically to qualifying as an at-large team? I'll give you uh, some more insight. A team like Nebraska-Omaha, who's in the NCHC. This tells you, by the way, the, the added strength of the NCHC and really where Hockey East fell off this year. And, and by the way, Merrimack was a part of that. Hockey East had some bad non-conference losses. Merrimack losing to Brown. Providence losing to Brown. Lowell lost two to Alaska Anchorage. Um, Northeastern lost to Bentley. You know, 
Hockey East as a league had bad losses, and it dragged down the relative strength of the league. It's why Hockey East went from six teams in the tournament at Christmas to one as of right now, just Boston University. So the NCHC is just their power rate. It's not the right term to use, but for all intents and purposes in this conversation, the, their relative strength, their, the NCHC is, is seen in the pairwise formula as being more powerful as Hockey East, so is the Big Ten. Because they did better in non-conference games, and they didn't have those bad losses. So Omaha, who right now is just one spot ahead of Merrimack. Merrimack's in 17th, Omaha's in 16th. Merrimack has a 24% chance of qualifying for the tournament right now. Omaha has a 40% chance. So they're 16 points better right now. If Merrimack were to win out, get to the conference championship game, and lose, they'd have a 46% chance of making the NCAA tournament. If Omaha were to win out, and make the NCHC championship game, but lose. They would have a greater than 99% chance of making the NCAA tournament. So right now there's, if and that's if Merrimack and Omaha perform exactly the same from now until two weeks from now. Right now there's a 16-point gap separating those teams. Two weeks from now, two weeks from now there would be a 43-point gap in percentage points separating those teams. Why? Because the NCHC is a stronger league. And it, it, in the eyes of the pairwise, in the eyes of the pairwise, uh, there's about, roughly speaking, uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of eight to nine spots that are already locked up no matter what, essentially. In reality, there's four. Minnesota, Quinnipiac, Denver, and Michigan, they could lose out. 100% chance they're still going to make the tournament. Uh, there's others that are, you know, if they lose out, they're at, 97, 96, 99%. So those are relative locks, I would call them. Um, But the actual locks, I think, right now is just four. Um, But there's more. I mean, if if you have a 99% chance, I'll call that a a relative lock, right, an essential lock. Uh, So there's more than just four spots, I think, that are locked up at this point. There's other teams, by the way, that if they lose out are mathematically eliminated altogether. Uh, There's other schools that if they lose out, they're going to be less than 1%. Uh, this is a big weekend, though, on a, from a pairwise perspective for Merrimack to pay attention as well. You've got Notre Dame, and just a couple of things to point out. You've got Notre Dame and Michigan. You've got Notre Dame and Michigan. Uh, Notre Dame and Michigan, excuse me, Notre Dame and Michigan State in the Big Ten. Both of those teams are the teams that could qualify for the, pair, for the NCAA tournament under the pairwise criteria, but not be eligible because they're less, their record is less than 500. They play each other. So, according to the Matrix, there's it, the the probability of this happening dropped dramatically because Notre Dame uh, had a very successful weekend against Michigan last week. So, if you remember last week, Notre Dame was at an 18% chance of qualifying for the tournament under the pairwise criteria, but being disqualified for being under 500. That is now just a 0.2% chance. It's also just a 0.2% chance of it happening for Michigan State. The only way that it can happen, I believe is if Michigan State were to sweep Notre Dame this weekend. So I think if you're Merrimack, and honestly, no matter who it is, if you're Merrimack, you're rooting for one of those teams to get to sweep because that should put you ahead of one of those teams. Another thing you're rooting for this weekend, because we know it will jump you no matter what, you're rooting for Lindenwood if you're Merrimack this weekend because if Lindenwood beats Alaska just once, they play them twice, Alaska needs to sweep. If Alaska doesn't sweep Lindenwood, they're going to fall to like 18 or 19. They're going to drop dramatically, and that'll put Merrimack ahead of Alaska. 
So that's where Merrimack stands with Alaska, because Alaska is an independent school. Uh, they, they're not in the league. They have no playoffs they can play. Their last two games are this weekend. They play those two games with Lindenwood, who's the 60th team of the pairwise. If they sweep, then Alaska is still in the mix. They're still in the mix. If they, if they sweep, they get about a 70% chance. If they don't sweep and they lose just one game, they're going to fall to probably 18th or 19th in the pairwise from 12th, and they're not going to have another game to play to boost themselves back up again. So one loss by Alaska, and they're done, in my opinion. And, and I, don't, I don't know that for certain, but it, it certainly would appear that way. Maybe there's a way if they split and they still end up being, you know, fifth, uh, not 15th, uh, 17th, 18th, somewhere around there after a split, there might be a scenario where they creep up based on some weird comparisons and other results, but, but I don't think it's likely. I don't think it's likely. Uh, Lindenwood, by the way, they've beaten some teams. You know, they're 7-19 and in the year. They're, they haven't won a game since December 31st. They beat Vermont on December 31st. They also have two wins over Army. They have a win over Bentley. They have a win over Air Force. And they've played some other teams close. They had a 6-4 game with Minnesota, a 3-1 game with Michigan. Uh, one goal loss, a 4-3 game against Wisconsin, a 5-4 game against Denver, 4-3 game against North Dakota. So, you know, they, they've played several close games. They've played several close games. But they haven't had a win in the calendar year. I, 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 well, no, I'm sorry. They, Stonehill. They beat Stonehill twice. They beat Stonehill twice the beginning of February. I, I don't know if I really count those. <laughs> You know, as I've said before, I'm not even sure if I count Stonehill as a legitimate D1 program at this point. Until they get there, you know, I think they're, yeah. But they beat Stonehill 5-2 and 10-3. So I think, point is, I think they can give Alaska a game. I don't know if, if they can beat Alaska, but they don't even need to do it twice. They just got to beat them once. And they've beaten some good teams this year, and they've played some other really good teams really close. So there's the potential that they could beat them once, and if they do, that drops Alaska out, and it's just one less team that Merrimack has to worry about. And that's, I think, what you're rooting, as, as much as you're rooting for Merrimack to win at this point, you're rooting for the teams around them to drop out. And, and that's a way that two teams around them can drop out this weekend. Alaska loses one game, they're going to drop below Merrimack, and, and Merrimack, and they won't be able to catch them. That's assuming, by the way, Merrimack beats Vermont. Uh, if Michigan State or Notre Dame sweeps, the other team should be behind them without much of a chance to pass them. And again, that assumes that Merrimack beats Vermont. So I think what you're rooting for at this point is the best scenario, and that, to me, is the best scenario for Merrimack this weekend. Not typically games you'd have to pay attention to. Don't know how many times this year I I would have said, hey, you know what, we're really going to have to pay attention. March 4th, that last game of the year, Hockey East, we're really going to have to pay attention to Lindenwood and Alaska. That's a school Mer- That's a, a game Merrimack fans are going to have to pay attention to on March 4th. You told me that at the beginning of the year. I would have told you you were nuts. <laughs> would have told you you were nuts. But that's the way it's worked out. Same with the Big Ten game. I mean, why would Michigan State and Notre Dame matter when it comes to Merrimack? But here we are. And, and the thing is, is, I don't think either of the results that could help them this weekend in those two series, neither one of them are outrageous. Right? Like, Michigan State or Notre Dame could sweep. Those teams have been pretty close. And... Lindenwood has played teams really well and has won some games. So could they beat Alaska once? Like, yeah. It's not crazy to suggest that they can beat Alaska one time. I think they could. So 
So you've got your results that you have to root for. But anyway, uh, we're going to talk more about hockey uh, in, in an, an upcoming episode of the podcast. Uh, this week, we are joined by the head coach of the Merrimack basketball program, Joe Gallo, to talk about uh, the season, the second half of the year, which has been fantastic for the Warriors, and also uh, the playoff game this upcoming Saturday night, the NEC semifinal against Sacred Heart, down at Hamill Court. Yeah. All right, uh, we're here with Coach Gallo. Coach, it's been a... It's been an eventful uh, past couple weeks, past couple months, really, since the conference schedule started. Uh, we talked right before the start of the season, and I just wanted to get your thought. We'll, we'll start with the obvious question. What clicked? What clicked when it came to conference play? Uh, because you guys have been on on quite a heater there since since the, the schedule turned to the NEC part of the schedule. Yeah, I mean, we, we had, um, you know, high high hopes for this group starting in the summer when we when – we, um, you know, started our summer workouts. We really loved the combination of, you know, some of our older guys, you know, the, the miners and McCoys and Ziggy Reed mixed with this young group of new energy that we had. And, um, you know, we, we just, you know, right off the bat, we had, you know, we didn't have Jordan minor for six, seven games in the non-conference and then combine that with a, just a brutal non-conference schedule. Um, you know, it wasn't the uh, easiest going in that November, December. So, you know, then we get Jordan back. Um, we played a couple games that we'd probably like to get back. You know, we had some 50-50 games there with the Bucknells, the Mains, mm-hmm. the Boston Universities, where we just, we hadn't figured out how to win yet. You know, we just got minor back. We had no practices. Like in November, December, it was just like game, 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 game. Um you know, we were defending at a really high level around that time, and we were just waiting for kind of the offense and some of the team togetherness stuff to click. Um, and then it just took, you know, a couple conference wins to actually kind of look around and go, you know what, we are we are actually pretty good, and we are who people thought we were. It's funny because you don't really know it at the time, right? But you can look back at the non-conference schedule. You know, I'm just looking at Ken Palm's ratings, and it's like most of those teams were top third teams in the country. You know, even even some of the ones you wouldn't think, like you know, Troy was one twenty nine. They're basically a team in the top third. So I was uh, I think so Brad, was, I, yeah. I think Brad, if, I think Bradley at home is the best team we played all year. Like those guys, yeah. That, that Bradley team will will have a chance to to win a game in the NCAA tournament. Even some of the other ones, like San Francisco, is just outside the top one hundred. Lowell and Vermont are just outside the top one hundred. Like there's a lot of teams on that. Like and you don't really know it at the time how it's going to shake out. But in retrospect, St. Thomas, it's a tough you know, schedule. St. Thomas transitioning from Division Three, right? They finished third in the Summit League. So you're <laughs> right. Even even the games that kind of jumped off as fifty fifty games to start the year, those those teams all had great years. So you know what? It's thank God it all came around, and and some of those games prepared us you know i i'm glad you know one dangerous part about it is it could take some of your confidence away like you know we, we that first conference game of the year against fdu we're up 10 and then all of a sudden they come back and take the lead and you know i think this group had not figured out how to win yet and everyone's kind of staring at dead air and the timeouts and you know if we get in that situation now um they're comfortable with okay we gave up our lead let's just kind of get back to what got us there and we're in a, just a so much better mental space now uh, obviously, you know, you're never about one guy. There's four guys on the court at any given time. You're going deep into your bench. But when you're down a guy like Miner for the number of games that he missed, it is, I mean, that's a significant hole. You know, I mean, potentially the best player in the league is is not available. It did seem like when he was able to come back, 
that he didn't really, at least from an outsider's perspective, it didn't seem like it, it took a lot to get him back into being the type of player that he was. It was almost right away. He was back to double-doubles almost every single night. Were you surprised how quickly he was able to get himself just right back into game shape? Uh, no, because if you know him, you know he was just keeping himself ready to go. You know, he's the guy that he beats everybody here. He's in the gym before everybody. He's, he's always keeping himself in shape. You know, what that does sometimes is, when you take out one piece that's so important, it really affects everybody else. So in those games he was out, you know, we moved Ziggy over and he was our five. And then Jordan Durkak, who plays the top of our zone, was playing the wing. He actually played the five at, at times in games. And, and what it did was it kind of stopped the growth of everybody else at the positions they're normally going to play when he is there. Um, so that's why when he came back, everyone kind of settled into what their roles were truly going to be. We talked a little bit about some of the newer guys at the beginning of the year, but now that we're here in, in the middle of a playoff run, and, and obviously we've seen a season's worth of play out of these guys, uh, a kid like Durkak is really impressed, I think, over the course of the year. Uh, Bennett, the same thing. Both as freshmen, do you expect them to be able to make the type of contribution they've been able to make? Because even, like you said, too, maybe the beginning of the year, they weren't in the spots you necessarily envisioned them in. But once they, once they got there and you kind of got that, that starting five settled in, everyone seemed to settle into their role pretty well. Yeah, those two have been great. And, um, you know, you never know that they were going to be this good. We did we did feel eventually that those two guys at some point in their careers were, were all league type of players. But um, credit to them for how fast they developed. You know, some of that comes with opportunity and you have all these minutes and all of a sudden you you see things and, you know, you're not making some of the same mistakes that you were making maybe a month or two ago. And uh, kind of it, the best way to grow is to actually – do it through games. And, you know, a lot of times in the programs, because everyone is so transfer heavy and, and so old, um, your young guys don't get opportunity. And these guys, you know, with, you know, Mikey and Malik um, from last year uh, decided to leave and we kind of had this gaping hole at the guard spot and these guards have, have come in and um, you know, Jalen Stinson off the bench is great opportunity as well. He brings great energy and um, toughness off our bench. Um They've, they've grabbed onto that opportunity and never looked back. A lot. I know it was at the Boston Globe did a story on on you guys, especially focusing on the defense. You know, number one turnover team in the nation. Durkak and, and Bennett are both, I think, top 10 in like steal percentage. Yep. Um, Savage, I think, is top 25. So there's, I mean, obviously, you know, the zone has been able to, to wreak havoc on people. It has for a while. We've talked about it a lot, but at the same time, like you need obviously you need players that can go out there and execute it too. And uh, considering those three names are all new to this system, uh, how how good has it been to watch them kind of come along in it? I mean, it, it seems like obviously yeah. it's clicked when when it's performed the way that it's performed. Yeah, that that's the most impressive part is it's 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 new, it's unique, it's something you've never. I mean, you basically come in here um, ground zero because it's just a very unique defense that nobody really plays or mimics. Um, so um, the summer was so important to get those six weeks in. Um, then those guys had a great preseason and uh, they, they got it a lot quicker than I probably would have thought. And what you're seeing now is, you know, a lot of times with our new guys, it takes a little time for their offense to come along because we're so defense driven, right? We're so on them for every, you know, we kind of want them to play free and care, you know, not careless, but a little bit carefree on offense and confident. Um, 
But on defense, in practice, we don't skip over a single mistake. You know, if you move one foot the wrong way, we're going to stop it and tell you about it. So I think when new guys come in, Javon Bennett, for instance, his brain was just on overdrive with this new defense. <laughs> you know, he's shooting like through the first 15 games, like in the teens or low 20s from three. And I can say with a straight face, he's as good as a shooter as I've ever coached. But it just takes some time to now get comfortable on the defensive end. The game slows down. Devin Savage as well. That guy's, you know, once he kind of stopped think overthinking the defense, his offense is now, I think he's high 40s from, from three in league. He leads the league in three-point percentage. So um, that once they got it defensively, it actually, the confidence level they had in themselves and in their offense took off as well. Do you lean on guys too, like like a minor or a Ziggy Reed, even though they're playing, they got different responsibilities, of course, within the yeah. zone. But I'm sure they've been around it enough where they know where everybody's supposed to be, so they can yeah. almost kind of run it on the floor as well. They do, and that's that's, that's kind of always been a thing here. Like the the uh, Joyner really helped Jordan Minor as a freshman, and, and Julia Lord really helped Ziggy when he was a freshman, and they kind of just kind of carry that on. But that's the most impressive part about the two guards is they had nobody to help them. Mm. Yeah. Michael daring a little bit, um, but just, you know, different. And, um, you know, of our, we were playing four guards and three of the four were brand new. So it's not like those guys really had a whole lot of help from anybody but the coaching staff. They kind of just leaned on each other and talked it out through each other. And uh, they've really grasped onto it. Obviously, you got Sacred Heart coming up uh, Saturday, six o'clock. It's going to be jam-packed i'm sure uh played them twice including once recently they were both pretty close games uh what what were your takeaways from the two games against sacred heart this year and what, what do you expect on saturday yeah we just got to um you know they they really like to get out and transition um you know one of the things you know i think some people try to do is you know they know how good we do defend in the half court so they try and make the game a little bit more up and down and um free flowing so that they can maybe get some transition threes transition layups. so you know we got to make sure that we're you know, we want to score in transition ourselves. We want, we, you know, one of the best things we've done over the last nine, 10 games is we're really getting up and down on offense and scoring in that first 10 seconds of the shot clock, which we got to continue to do, right? We turn people over so much. We got to turn that defense into offense. Um, but we got to take away the first 10 seconds of the shot clock on, on their end and make sure we're making them, you know, really grind against our, our half court defense. Yeah, I was going to say, have you been happy with how you guys have been able to shoot the ball, especially over the last eight or nine games? I mean, I know the 91 points against LIU, I think it, that was the most in, in a couple of years, yeah. right? And and that's a high number. But still, it seems like most nights over the last month, it's been 70-plus, yeah. you know, and that, yeah. that has to be that has to be encouraging too. Yeah, it really is. We're just taking better. We're playing a little bit faster, right? So everything, we're getting some um, – we're getting some better shots that we're creating just off of playing with a little bit more tempo. Um, and then we're just taking better ones. I think some of that, uh, you know, some of it is the defense you're playing against in, in some of those non-conference games. It's harder to find good shots, but we haven't taken too many bad shots over the last two months. Guys are really sharing the ball. Our assist rate is through the roof. We're like one of the best assist teams in the country over the last 10 games or so. Um, you know, that's, you know, we, we won't have another, road game so right now we are i think second in the country um with eight straight road wins to, to houston and a big reason for that is if you defend and you just take good shots and share the ball then that stuff kind of travels anywhere and that's what we've been able to do to kind of win all those road games like i said i won't be on the road again uh saturday at home 
uh, and then potentially Tuesday at home as well. How, how I, I imagine it's going to be, you know, a great feeling to finish first and get that locked up. I saw the the dive off the ladder. I, you know, I'm sure that's big. You'd love to do more of those. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, did um, it, you know, I did it three years ago. And then my wife, <laughs> my wife kind of saw it coming and she shook her head like, you're not going to do that again, are you? <laughs> I just I felt it in the moment. As long as they're there to catch you, it's fine, right? <laughs> I put the ones I know that will actually catch me up front. <laughs> there you go. Um, but what? How important has it been too to be able to play these these playoff games? Obviously, at home, uh, whether it's at Hamill or whether it's at Lawler, crowds have been fantastic. They've been fantastic, you know, really for most of the year for these home games. But uh, just having that energy, I I imagine, you know, in those times where maybe you are looking at the, up at the clock and you know the other team's going on an eight zero run or something like that. When you're in front of a jam packed building, it's it's easier to to keep the energy level up, I would think. Yeah, it's, it's been great. And the, the school, the students, the faculty and staff, the, you know, even I think we're getting generating a little bit of buzz within this kind of Merrimack Valley community. You know, I'm hoping um, we're on spring break now. So we're going to need some of the locals to come out and, and fill the gym on, on Saturday. Hopefully some students that, you know, are, are local within 20, 30 miles will come back and support as well. But, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, proud alum and it's always been a place with great people and the way president Hopi has grown the school with having you know over 4,000 students now 75 percent of undergrads 80 percent on campus you know it's so easy for these guys to just you know the way they've supported us in hockey they just kind of walk 100 200 yards from the dorm room and they you know come over if they're if they're 21 they get two dollar beers so it's kind of a <laughs> It's a cool place to be. It's got to be part of the appeal, I would think, too. I mean, even in, when you're recruiting players, there's, there's some kids who just don't want to go to bigger schools. You know, I, yeah. I'm i going through it now with my oldest who's going into high school, and we're looking at schools, and there's been a couple where he's like, that's ah, yeah, that's too big. I don't even really want to tour that place. It's too big for me. He knows he wants a smaller school, and he's, you know, 13 years old. But I'm sure the same thing. When you're There's got to be players that you recruit that may not want the big city school. They're more comfortable on, on, on a smaller school where you can walk 50 feet to a basketball game from your dorm definitely and a lot of families when they you know that the school shows so well um you know it's also you know it's not as much uh you know since we moved to Lawler that the the facility itself is you know as good as um, the best in in our league yeah. uh, but I've always said it's not even about the building it's about the game day environment you create like I I mean I now with ESPN3 all these you know low and mid-major games are on tv and it's like I'm not going to name any schools, but you turn on some uh, some games and you're watching schools that would probably uh, use their arena uh, being nicer than ours to try and get a player, uh, you know, instead of us. And you're looking at a 6000 seat arena with 120 people in the stands. So yeah, that that new shiny building that that wears off um, if you're not having a great experience, um, both, you know, on campus within the program, how you're treated, um, and then the game day environment that's created by the community. All right, Coach. Well, good luck this weekend, and uh, hopefully we can do this again soon, but definitely good luck this weekend. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you to Joe Gallo for joining us on this week's edition of the podcast. Have fun this weekend. Enjoy these games. Merrimack men's basketball, Saturday night, 6 o'clock at Hamill Court. They're going to take on any, uh, Sacred Heart in the NEC semifinals. Merrimack against Vermont at 7 o'clock Saturday that's the last game of the hockey's regular season. Merrimack, we'll see where, where they finish, but they have a chance to finish in first and will have their best hockey's finish in the history of the program. And then it's on to the hockey playoffs as well, potentially an NEC championship game at Merrimack on Tuesday. Uh, just a ton going on. So enjoy the next week. 
Uh, enjoy all these games, and we will talk to you next week here on the TMR Podcast. So long. Yeah.